So tonight we have a very special teacher. He's actually uh, pretty new to the Cornerstone family. He's our new small groups pastor, an extremely intelligent guy. And I know that not just because I'm supposed to be up here and say nice things about people, but he actually gave me this set of books called Commentaries, which is like an encyclopedia for the Bible. And as I'm going through reading this myself, I see all these highlighted places, and it just brings so much insight to how his mind thinks, how God has been working to his heart. You can tell he has spent just years and years and years in his entire life just pursuing God. And so he's going to come up here tonight and share that knowledge with you, answer some of your questions, and help you grow a little closer to God. So I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we're going to welcome David Sill to the stage. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for just nights like tonight, just the opportunity to have just such an amazing guy like David come up here and share your word. And we just ask that you speak through him. Let him be your mouthpiece and to open up our hearts and minds as we listen and allow life change to happen through your word and through the community you've given us. And dear Lord, just uh, please give us the energy to just make tonight a special one. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening. Let's try that again. Okay. Good evening. There you go. Remember, this is interactive, okay? Um, like Frankie said, my name is David Sill. I've been on staff now, I think, seven weeks. And um, for the past nine years before coming here, I was a pastor of spiritual formation at Christ Church of the Valley, not here, but in San Dimas, California. And uh, I've been excited about coming here tonight and spending time with you. And I grew up in a, in a youth group with a youth pastor who the word was primary, and he taught me uh, very simply, and if you get to know me, you know I'm a simple guy, okay, that you read the Word, and the Word is great to know, but it's even better to do, all right? And so what we read, what we learn is about transformation of our minds, our hearts, and our lives. And um, so as I approach the Scriptures, as I approach what I'm going to share, what, what we're going to go through, it, those things are primary to me. And uh, so, um, guys, I'm just very excited. Again, if you have questions, it's good. this is going to be interactive. I want some of you who uh, would like to, to read some, some Scripture. In fact, I need two people who will volunteer to, to read a passage of Scripture that we're going to get to in just a little bit. Um, would someone like to uh, read um, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17? Will someone do that? You will? Okay, James 14. Or I'm sorry, James. There's, there's no James 14. James 2, 14 through 17. And then uh, 1 John 3. Will someone read a 1 John 3? Okay, right here in front. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Not yet. We're not going to get there yet, but in just a little bit. Hold your fingers there, and that will be good. Well, you can open your Bibles to um, Acts chapter 4, and um, we're going to start with verse 32 uh, tonight. Uh, but before we get there, last week uh, Lynn uh, dealt with a great passage of Scripture, and so just to do a quick little review. I mean, how many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, most of you. Now, if you're here tonight, that means that one of a few things, you're, you're either not a baseball fan or you're, you're not a Giants fan, which... I completely understand, okay, about not being a Giants fan or you don't like the Royals. So, um, it, it, you know, I'm a Dodger fan, so not liking uh, the Giants is kind of part of my relationship with the Lord. Um, it really helps me to grow deeper. And, um, and anyways, so um, I'm glad you guys are here instead of at home watching the World Series. Um, so, last week, so anything, just share a few things that hit you. Um, from last week uh, when Lynn was sharing. 
Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges that we, uh, we face, don't we? Yeah, right down here in front. Do your enemies see Jesus when they leave you? Say that one more time. Do your enemies see Jesus when they leave you? Okay, when, when people don't like us, hopefully what they're seeing is Jesus in us, right? Okay, yeah. That was a big part of what he talked about last week. What about, what about um, governing authorities, those who have authority over us? What, what did he share about that? So, go, go ahead and raise your hand. I'll call on you and you can speak out real loud. Okay, back towards the back. Go ahead. I can't see your face, but I see your hand. There you go. Daniel 6, 16 talked about submitting to authority. Okay, yeah, talks about submitting to authority, all right. Now, was there ever a time when you were not to submit to an authority that God has placed over us? Over here? And you're getting all the running tonight, okay. When was that? I don't remember what the Bible verse was, but it was when the authority figure goes against the Word of God. Goes against the Word of God. Does any remember the story that, that um, Lynn talked, took us to, uh, to, um, to help us understand that? Okay, right here. Or right in the second row. Right here in the second row. He was referring to Daniel okay. praying in front of the window. When Daniel was going, when he actually was thrown into the lion's den, yes, correct? correct? Yeah. Now, in Daniel, that's in Daniel chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you to go and read that if you didn't read, uh, read it this week, because it's an amazing story, not just the lion's den, not, not just uh, what took place in terms of Daniel not obeying, but the story is set up by Daniel being basically elevated to kind of like a prime minister, to the, to the, to the head of all the princes, of the, uh, kind of the, those who had those, that, that level of authority in, in government. And these men were jealous of him. Daniel was successful. God blessed him. And they, they, were, they were jealous. They, they, they wanted him out of there. They, they didn't like, you know, that everything was, just seemed to go well with him. And so they looked for, the Bible says they looked for a way to basically to see any corruption in his life. And they could find nothing. No corruption at all. But they knew one way that they could get at him. And that was his obedience and his, and his dedication to his God, that he would never falter in that. And then that's when they went to the king and said, King, there's, you know, oh, king, we, we should have a month where people only pray to you. And, and then what they were doing was feeding the king's ego, but they knew that Daniel would never do it because they knew how dedicated they was to his faith. Now, wouldn't that be amazing if someone looked at us and said, hey, you know what? We can't find anything bad in them, um, but you know what? They're so committed to Christ, we can maybe set something up to where it puts that to the test and we know they won't falter because they know they're so dedicated. That's basically what happened there. Amazing, amazing thing. Well, at the end of, of, of what we were dealing with in Acts last, last week, um, remember uh, Peter and John were before the, the Sanhedrin. Basically, as it came to a close, uh, they, they, they told them not to preach anymore. They basically let them go. And, um, and then what they did is they went back basically to where the church was at. They shared what had gone on. And then they did this. Now, it's amazing because would you, would you say that they were acting with courage, with boldness? in that situation? Yes or no? Definitely, weren't they? You would think if they went back, and they, they, they would feel good. Well, you know what they did? They went back and they prayed as a body, Lord, help us to be courageous. Help us to be bold. Help us not to falter 
in, in our obedience to you and living for you and, 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 and doing what you want. And in that time, it says the Holy Spirit again fell upon them and incredible things were happening. Now that's going to take us to, to Acts chapter 4 verse um, 32 where we're going to pick it up tonight. And uh, we're going to go through the first part of, of chapter 5. Uh, and, and tonight, really, it's about, it really goes hand in hand, obviously, with what uh, Lynn was talking about last week. It talks about our heart and the condition of our heart and why we do what we do and, and, and how God is going to move and work in us or how we allow God to move, move and work within us based upon the condition of our heart. Okay, so let's pick this up and, and let's read um, Acts chapter 4. Uh, verses 32 through 37. It says this. It says, now, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I love that. It says, with great power and great grace. There were some powerful powerful things that were happening there during this time. Then it says this, and this is kind of the meat of where we're kind of going to move from. It says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this, is, this, is, this is radical living, isn't it? I mean, we may look at this now and say, oh, well, was it really that radical? It was probably even more so back then. They didn't have a bank with cash um, and a savings. Um, their wealth was in, in land, um, in a home, in livestock, in, in, in grain, and, and what they gained, gained from their fields. I mean, that was where their retirement was. That was where their money and their, would, would, would last for their lives until they died. And it says that they began to look at things differently. They began to, it'd be, it'd be like if someone was, you know, maybe in their, like a few years away from a retirement, and they go and they cash in their 401k. And they come in and they, they lay it out at, at, the, at the feet of the apostle. They say, Here, here's this money. There's so many people out there who need, who need food, who need clothing. Use this to help them. I'm good. They began to, to sell houses and property, and, and it was bizarre. Now, what, what? Why on earth would people begin to act this way? What do you think? Why would their attitude change so much? I think partly their attitude changed, but <clears throat> I think the big thing was they, they really expected Christ to come back in a matter of a few days because they never thought about what are we going to do when all this food runs out and, and what we're contributing runs out. So I, I think bottom line, they thought Christ is going to be back here in a, you know, a matter of a few days, a week, a month. And so we're not you know, let's risk everything, uh, take care of everything in the meantime. Yeah, they definitely believe that Christ was coming back sooner than, <laughs> than what he has, all right? Um, there's no doubt about that. So I, that may be a part of that. We do know that there were some Christians who stopped, at one point, stopped working. 
You know, we're kind of sitting on the hills waiting for Jesus to come back. And Paul said, hey, man, if you don't, if people don't work, they're not going to eat. Don't take care of someone who's not willing to work. Any, any other thoughts about maybe why um, their attitude maybe had changed? Right over here. Well, the Holy Spirit had changed their heart. I mean, obviously, Jesus said, "Where wherever your treasure is, there, there your heart will be also. So that was probably definitely what changed their attitude and as far as the Holy Spirit moving within them. Yeah. You know, is, isn't that true? I mean, when all of a sudden the, the, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, a, a transformation, it says, takes place. In fact, Paul even later on writes that it is a renewing of our mind, right? Uh, we, we begin to operate in ways that we don't normally operate. In fact, the things that we do might seem crazy to people who don't understand or don't know the Lord, in fact, it is out of the ordinary, it is out of the natural order of living and, and, and doing things. It's out of the natural wisdom, oftentimes, that our world holds on to. It doesn't make sense. But then again, the way Jesus walked and the way that he worked and what he did didn't make sense to, to, to most people during that day. And we are no longer guided by the wisdom of this world, but we're guided by a wisdom that goes even beyond this world. That doesn't mean that, you know, we're supposed to sell everything and live in a commune. But uh, they began to look at what they had um, differently because, um, I think because of, of a lot of reasons, but I think primarily because of a transformed heart. And, um, and other things, like maybe even the, the idea that Jesus is coming back also would be a part of that. Now, I want to read those passages. And first, I want, I want us to read it. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Who's got this? Right down here, right? Go ahead and just go right into the, uh, into the mic there. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. All right. So it said, what is that saying about, you know, what we're talking about? It talks about our faith and it talks about our works. What is the saying in this verse? Yeah. Faith without works, it's pointless. There's nothing to it. Yeah, to say, hey, I have faith in Jesus. I believe in God, and, and I just have faith, and, and that's it, and stops right there. It, it doesn't really mean much, right? It doesn't. In fact, James is all about putting our faith into action. If there, if there was a, a theme of James, that's what James would be all about. He says, you know, the proof of your faith is a changed life and a changed attitude and a changed heart and how you look at people and how you, how you reason and, and the decisions that you make. It's just not a belief system. It, it's, a, it's a life change that happens within us. All right? Now, let, let's look here real quick at 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be that person? 
Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Mm. Wow. That's a powerful, a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. It says, how do we know what love is? What does it say? How do we know what love is? Hmm? Go ahead. If we're willing to lay down our life for them. Okay, we're willing to lay down our life. Does that mean that we have to give up our life and die? Or, is, or, or can it mean other things other than that? It could be sacrifice of anything, possessions, okay. time. Yeah, anything. yeah. And he actually gives an example of it, right? You know, he says, you know, if, um, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, you know, if, if we have the ability, if we see a need that's there and we have the ability to meet that need and we don't do anything about it, how can you say that God's love abides in you? How can you say you understand and have experienced the love of God? I mean, Jesus told a parable about, um, about a man who was a Samaritan who was beaten and laying on the side of the road, and he, and he talked about two religious people who walked by, and, and their prejudice um, didn't lead them to do anything about it. Or actually a man, and then a Samaritan who was, um, actually came by and um, who was despised by, despised by the Jews, and uh, he, he did something to, to meet that need. And he says, that's the person that understands the love of God. And he says, it's useless if we say that we love. It's useless if we say we have faith. If that faith and that love isn't expressed, isn't shown, isn't demonstrated, not demonstrated, but just is who we are. It's not something that we, that we perform. It's not something that, that we try to bring about. It becomes who we are, a natural part of who we are. But oftentimes, it's a decision as well of what we do um, with what we have. But he says, man, don't, don't say you love by word or with your talk, but show that you love with deeds and with truth. You know, it's amazing, as I was talking with someone um, not long ago about kind of this idea, and he goes, yeah, but the early church had something that we don't. I mean, there was just amazing things. I'm sure after, you know, a while, the church wasn't really doing exactly what they were doing at the beginning. I mean, they had Jesus, and then when the apostles were dead, it's kind of like back in Judges. You have a generation that does good, but then the next generation forgets. I'm sure they went through things, cycles like that. Well, I, I found a quote by Roman Emperor Julian. Who, who was the uh, Roman emperor from 355 to 363 A.D., 330 years after Jesus died, um, after the church began. And this is what he says. Now, understand, uh, real quick, Julian, was, uh, he died when he was about 33 years old. Uh, he, he was a warrior. He was a general. Um, he was a philosopher. Uh, he was also pagan. He wanted, he tried to bring the, the, the national religion back to paganism where it began because he was becoming too Christian for him. And, and because, because of, of just the effects of Christ, Christianity and of, of followers of Jesus on the Roman Empire. And that was his goal. But this is what he said. And, and he was the last non-Christian emperor that Rome had. This is what he says. Christianity has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. He says, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans cared not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for help that we should render them. 
What a great testimony, okay? I mean, what an incredible testimony. 300 years he goes, there's not a single beggar um, of these Jews. Christians are taken care of. It doesn't matter if they are Christians or not. They take care of Romans. They take care of um, Jews. They take care of, of other people who are Christians. I mean, they care for people meeting their needs. This was a testimony of who the church was, not just at the beginning, but all the way through. You know, their faith, their love was put into actions, and it came from that right heart. Now, let me ask you this. Have, have, have any of you ever been blessed, ever had someone meet a need or really care for you in a, in a really deep way, maybe in a real time of need? Maybe it, wasn't, maybe it was monetary, maybe it was emotional support, maybe people just surrounded you. Have, you. have you ever experienced that? Raise your hand. Have, has any of you ever, have you ever experienced that where someone did it anonymously? Raise your hand. Now, someone can't really listen to you anonymously, okay? I mean, but, but maybe where someone has really touched your life. Anyone want to share something that maybe um, where, where someone came and, and, and it really cared for you? Anyone want to share anything like that? Okay, there's someone right here, right in the center. Keep your hand up so they can see you. Thank you. Years ago, when, when I was first married, um, my husband and I lived in Washington, and we had three children. And we, the house we were renting, we didn't know the people had sold it. And they had been collecting rent from us, but they weren't making the payments and things like that. But what had happened was we were helping somebody else. My husband was helping them move a mobile home, and the mobile home fell off the track that it was mm -hmm. on and crushed my husband underneath the mobile home. And we had no income whatsoever. I had to help care for him because it had crushed his leg and his arm. I had three young children that we had to take care of. And we had somebody that came and knocked on our door that we did not even know and asked if we would love to have a five-bedroom home that they would give to us um, rent-free for a while, and then it would be $100 a month. It was a block from a 55-mile-long lake, so it was very, very close. So we lived there for many years, and we're very blessed. Wow. What amazing. How awesome is that, huh? Um, there, you know, there really are incredible people doing incredible things out there. And um, I'm sure if we were, were to sit here and listen to stories, um, we could be here all night listening to stories of, of how God moved and how God worked and just amazing things that went on. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever... Um, well, let me share something personally, I guess, with you. I, 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 was, I was wondering whether I wanted to share this or not, but, but I will. Um, we, have, we have four children, but our third child, um, we have a, a, a girl, a boy, girl, boy. Our, our, our second girl, third child, when she was uh, a year, a little over a year and a half old, passed away. And um, when that happened, uh, you know, ambulances come and, and goes to, you know, ERs and doctors are working on her and, and she didn't survive. And um, after everything was said and done, we had a lot of these bills. 
um, for the ambulance, for the ER, for anesthesia, for, for, for a lot of other doctors. And, and we didn't have money. I mean, I was a youth pastor, and I know youth pastors are very highly paid you know, people, but um, uh, not so much for us, okay? We were kind of living paycheck to paycheck. So I talked with him and said, hey, listen, you know, we don't have the money, but I can pay you monthly. If you, if you allow me to do that, I, I want to pay, pay for this, but we just we don't have the money to pay it all right now. And so they said yes, and for a while they, they, they did that. And then all of a sudden it seemed like they all got together and decided at one time, yeah, we're done. And so they said, okay, you have to pay us by this date or you're going to collections. So I got my paycheck paid that bill, paid our other bills that we had, um, and what I had left over, um, and I had to actually, you know, drain most of our savings to pay, you know, everything. Um, we had, um, I think it was $50 for two weeks for food, for gas in our vehicles, for everything. And, and, and I was um, stressed, um, you know, uh, really stressed. Uh, I didn't tell my wife, and um, I was getting ready, blow-drying my hair. I know it's kind of hard to imagine that happening, okay, but at one time I did have it, okay, and I had enough to blow-dry, all right? And um, I was blow-drying my hair, got through, and I was just very, very quiet, and, and Jackie said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, just down. He, she said, Molly, and I said, yeah. You know, I, I lied. I mean, it was, but I was just really, really stressed out. And in my mind, like, we would buy some peanut butter. We can buy. So, so I'm walking out, and I'm just, I'm just so overwhelmed. And uh, as a high school pastor, you know, I love students, still love students. Kids, this group loved to do sidewalk chalk on our, on our, on our driveway and on our cars and leave notes and things, you know, and, and it's great. We, all, we talked a lot about encouragement in that, in that ministry. And so there was a card on, on, our, on our, our windshield, and I, I grabbed it, sat down. I was just praying, God, help me to understand what, what we're going to do. I know I trust you. I know we'll be okay. And I just kind of opened up the card, opened up the envelope, and opened up the card, and there's five $100 bills. And, and the note just says, God was really impressing on my heart to give this to you. I hope this is coming at a good time, a Christian brother and sister. That's it. I have no idea who they are. To this day, I have no idea who it was. And I just sat there and cried. I walked inside and showed it to Jackie and, and then told her what was going on, and we, we both cried. It was, it was, and it was an amazing, humbling, overwhelming thing to know that God loves us and he cares about us, and there's people out there who are listening to the Spirit of God leading them to do something specific at the right time in the right place. And, and you know, I know that, that we all want to be those people, don't we? We do. We want to be those people that... When we see and we sense that maybe God is leading us to do something, that we would act upon that when he wants us to. And that's what we're reading here of, of, of what is happening in the church. In fact, they use an example in, in Acts 4, 36 or 7. It says, thus Joseph, who is called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native Cyprus, said, um, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Joseph of Cyprus, we wouldn't think, most of us haven't heard this, but this guy was such an encouraging person. I mean, he just really built people up, so much so that the apostles gave him a nickname, Son of Encouragement, and, and actually the, the name in their language would be Barnabas, which means Son of Encouragement. They started calling him Barnabas. They didn't call him Joseph. They called him Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas. Hey, Son of Encouragement. You know, whenever they saw him, so much so 
The people didn't, I mean, he started going by his nickname. He, how many of you have ever had a nickname or talk, called people by nicknames? Or no people, you know, like, you know, Red or I don't know, you know, whatever it may be, okay, Smelly. But, um, I mean, he was son of encouragement. What, what a great nickname. And, and, you know, what many people believe about Barnabas, son of encouragement, was that he was not just an encouragement by what he said, but I'm sure he was. You know people like that who just kind of come along, people? I mean, he, he sees someone down and walk up, hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay? You know, he, he, he's not going to pass up, you know, um, somebody if it seems like they, they, they need some support. I mean, he's going to walk alongside someone and let them know, hey, I, I believe in you. Um, he, he's going to fight for, for the person maybe who has messed up, who, who, who has blown it, and, and, and fight for second chances. And then just who he is encourages others to want to be better. You have someone like that in your life, ever had someone like that in your life, that just being around them makes you want to walk with the Lord better? Just because of their example, because of who they are. Not what they always say to you, but just who, they, they just are such an encouragement to you. And this is kind of the idea of who Barnabas was. He was that type of person, someone who truly lifted someone up. We also know that he was um, with Paul on, on, during some incredible um, times of ministry. He went with Paul to Jerusalem to go in, to stand before um, the apostles there at one time. He, he was with Paul on his first missionary journey as he went out, he and John Mark. And um, actually, it's interesting, he, he was born on the, on the island of Cyprus, and you know where they started the first missionary journey, you know where the first stop was? Where do you think? Cyprus. They started with Barnabas' hometown. I, th I think that Barnabas probably said, Paul, can we just go, can we go to my home? Can we start there? There's so many people that need to know who Christ is. He wanted so desperately for the people that he loved, that he cared about, to know about who Jesus was. And so they started there. He sold a piece of property he owned, brought it, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was just an example of what was going on. And you know, what we know from him is that he probably did it out of love for Jesus, love for the church, and a desire to see people experience Jesus in very practical ways. And that's what we do when we meet a need. We express the love of God in a tangible way. So it's not I love you, but it's here I'm giving you this because I love you. And I want you to experience God um, in this because it's from him. Not, I'm, just, I'm just the guy. I'm just the messenger. It's what was going on there. You know, I think he shared Paul's feelings as like Paul wrote in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive as he was um, saying goodbye or talking to the elders in the church of Ephesus. Now, so amazing stuff, Right? I mean, can you imagine being a part of a, of a group like that where they weren't looking to themselves first, they were looking to others. And if there was a need and they had the ability, man, they were going to meet that need. They were going to, in fact, they would meet it personally, but if not, hey, I'm going to sell some property, I'm going to give it to the church, basically the leaders of the church, and allow them, so then they know more people than me, to help people, whoever has needs, to do that. And that's what was happening. They were really living out what Paul wrote in his letter to, to, to Philippi in chapter 2, when he says, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that same love, that same desire, that humility 
The, the, the eyes that are set on God and in and others first before yourself. And that's what, what, what was describing the church here in a very real way. Now look at Acts chapter 5, um, verses 1 and 2. Who would like to read verses 1 and 2? Okay, go ahead. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, stop right there. Now let me read the very end of, of chapter 4. It says that basically Barnabas sold a piece of property, um, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, sounds familiar, right? But there, there's something there between the story, and it is he lands at the apostles' feet, and it says, but, okay? That's a big but, okay? Um, a, a but, that, that three-letter word in the Bible can, can be a transformational um, word to describe something that's going on. There's a couple big buts, okay, in the Bible, okay? I want you to understand that. And um, one of the first ones that we see um, is in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. You know, Cain and Abel were the two uh, first uh, born of Adam and Eve, and uh, they both were worshiping God. They, you know, remember Cain, what, what was his job? What was his job? Anyone know? Yeah? He was a farmer. He was a farmer, okay? If you, if you know this, the simple little things, you can just yell it out, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll hear it, okay? He was a farmer. Now, what was Abel? What was he? Yeah, he was a shepherd, right? He attended animals. He took care of goats and lambs, and, and, and he, he livestock. That's what he did. And they came to worship God, and um, God loved Abel's, okay, um, offering because he gave the best of the best, where... Um, Cain, Cain's wasn't that. And so it says that God looked favorably on, on Abel, but not on Cain's sacrifice. Now, Cain was jealous. And this is what he said. This is what God said to Cain. And he said this in, in Acts chapter 4. Um, in verse 7, it says, Sin is crouching at your door. God's warning him, okay? Sin is crouching on your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. But don't let it rule you, is what he's saying. It's there. It's always there. Isn't it true with us, too? Is sin crouching at your door? Is it right there always? Do you have to open up the door and start yelling to it? Like, we have a cat, so my wife is wonderful at going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. And I've learned to do that by listening to her, okay? I would go, kitty, kitty, I mean, but I, I learned to say kitty really well. We don't go up and go, here, sin, 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 sin. We don't have to do that. We open the door, sin's right there, ready at a moment's notice for us just to walk right in with it. And he says, sin is at the door, but, but you need to master it. Another big but in Scripture is in Genesis uh, chapter 6. Listen to how the world is described by God. It says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Now, this is God talking, okay? 
great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine living in a place where every intent of his heart was only evil continually? Can you imagine living in that world? We think our society's bad. Not even close to what was going on here. Not even close. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God is so sorry that because of where man is, that, and, and because of man's sin, everything is thrown into, into corruption. We read that in Romans, but it says that he was so sorry that he was going to destroy everything, not just man, but, but, but animals, creeping things, insects, everything. Horrible place. And then, but, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That but is a game changer, isn't it? Wasn't it? Absolutely. That little three-letter word was a game changer, and because of that, we're here today. But, God was sorry he had made man, but Noah. And here we have Barnabas sold a track of land and, and, and came and laid it at the apostles' feet, saying, this is the money I got from the land, here you go. But, Ananias and his wife Sapphira did something a little bit different. And the but here introduces a sharp contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They probably saw Barnabas and what he had done. I mean, they knew of Barnabas. People knew of Barnabas. He was just one of those guys. The apostles loved him because of who he was and, and how the Spirit of God was alive in him. And, and he had a, kind of almost like a spiritual authority that was going on because of how they relied upon him in the early church. And they wanted that. They wanted that attention. Maybe they wanted a, a spiritual position in the church. Maybe they, they wanted to be elevated in the eyes of people. We're not sure of everything that was behind what they did, but we do know that it wasn't from a pure heart. It wasn't from a heart that was the desire just to honor God no matter what. Now, they sold a piece of property, it says, and they kept back some of the money and turned in the rest to the church. Now, is there anything wrong with them selling the property, keeping some of the money, and giving the rest of the church? Anything wrong with that? How many of you say, no, there's nothing wrong with that? Raise your hand. How many of you say, yes, there's something wrong with that? Okay, and some of you are afraid to raise your hand. Okay, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Okay, if that's what you say. Right? But the idea here was that they came in and said Ananias was going to do something different. He was going to keep back some of the money and then bring the money in and say, here's all the money that was from the sale of the land. It was, and it wasn't about the amount of money, was it? Huh? We know Jesus didn't care about the amount of money. Remember the story of him at the temple and when people were giving their offerings and people were coming in and making a big, big to-do about how much they're putting, kind of dropping money in so everyone can see. And a widow comes in with two little copper coins. 
not worth hardly anything, but it's all she had. She threw it in, and he says, look, she gave more than everyone else combined because she gave out of her poverty. They just gave out of their surplus. So what does God care about? The amount or what? The heart. That's right, the heart. He cares about the heart. He cares about what's going on inside of us. See, the problem wasn't the amount of money. The problem was lying. The problem was the lie. The problem was the deeper sin, was the hypocrisy that was there. Now, Jesus, what is, what is hypocrisy, first of all? What is, what is, how would you define hypocrisy? Anyone? If someone says they're a hypocrite, what, what, what does that mean to you? Right here. Uh, I'd say that being a hypocrite is scolding someone for doing something that you see wrong in your eyes and then continuing to do that same thing that you just scolded them for. Okay, so you're doing something, and you see someone else doing that. You scold them for doing that, but you keep on doing it, okay? Yeah, Jesus said, hey, don't take the log out of, or speck out of someone else's eye without taking what? Remember? The plank or the log out of your own eye? Any other, anyone want to add to that definition? Good definition, anything else? You, you, you know what, you know, go ahead, right here, right here, down the middle. Part of the hypocrisy is not only uh, doing what that young man had stated, but also doing it in a very public way in order to make a point, but yet living totally opposite. Okay. On the outside being one thing, but maybe inwardly being something different or in, in private doing something different, maybe doing the, the same thing that was going on. Don't, don't you, you think about people like that. You, and you, know, you know, I saw this movie not long ago and there was a character in it that just, oh, just made me so upset. And, um, and, and his name was Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. And um, it really made me, how many have ever seen Frozen? Raise your hand. Okay, many of you haven't. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, well, I didn't like what he, how he tricked Anna. That's all I can say, okay? Um, but someone who pretends to be one thing, but inside is completely different. It's, it's what, a, what a hypocrite is. And, and Jesus had his most harsh words f for the religious leaders or religious people uh, that, that lived out hypocrisy. Who on the outside looked one way, but on the inside were something completely different. In fact, he called them a lot. He called them whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. He called them snakes. I mean, he had harsh, harsh words for them. In fact, he treated his words were harsher for them than even a woman that was caught in adultery and it was is thrown on, in, in, on the sand right in front of him. And after, and they said, you know, and it was for a trick. I mean, even the, the, those same men who were trying to just to, to, to get him in a trap and said, hey, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And he says, sure, but whoever's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. <laughs> he just blocked them every way, every way they came at him. And then what did he say to the, what did he say to the woman? Yeah, but he says, where are your accusers, Right. She looks up, and she thought she was dead. She, she thought her life was over. She goes, I, I don't have any. He goes, and I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Gentleness, grace. 
But for religious leaders who were doing everything good on the outside, but inside their heart was bad, what did he say to them? You guys are just a bunch of dead men's bones walking around looking good. That's all you are. You know, and, and, and the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is all about that, the heart compared to what you do on the outside. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't lash. You've heard that it was said, don't commit murder, but I say, don't hate your brother. Don't call him a fool. On and on and on and on he goes, talking about the heart in every part of that. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is so, how many of you have ever studied the Sermon on the Mount, ever heard the Sermon on the Mount? How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you have ever been convicted by it? Raise your hand. I, it's almost too painful to read. It really is. Okay, giving, don't your right hand know what your left hand is doing? I mean, I mean everything in there. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, as for caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for um, here means liking or enjoying, I suppose, suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat in his face with a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read the passage with tranquil pleasure. He goes, it's painful when you're dealing with the heart because you can't fake the heart, can you? It's there, and God can see the heart. And we can't do anything but go on. I have to, and I have to move on here. And Jesus' warning, in, Ma- in fact, write down Matthew 6, 1 through 4, or, or mark it in your Bibles and read it later. I don't have time to read it. I need to get through. I'm, I'm, going, I'm spending too much time here on some of these things. So here, here we go. Acts 5, 3 through 5. I'll read it. Ananias, or Ananias is there by himself. His wife is not there. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? But after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but God. You know, no doubt Ananias was hoping to go in, lay it down, and having Peter go, Ananias, thank you so much. It was so good of you. It was amazing. Can you imagine his surprise when Peter said, Ananias, what are you doing? Why? Why would you say this, is how, this was everything you sold when you know it's not everything you sold? And he's probably thinking, how does he know? Nobody knows. Did my wife tell him? I mean, I mean he's probably going back and forth wondering what's happening here. And, P, and until that time, Peter says, listen, when, you did, when it was yours, you could do with it whatever you wanted. Even after you sold it, you had a choice to do whatever you wanted to do with it. When you brought it here and declared before God, this is what it is, this is everything, then it's no longer okay. Because you're giving it to the Lord and you're doing it out of falsehood. Lie, hypocrisy. And that is not all right. He could have, there was nothing wrong. He could have come in and said, Peter, I sold a track of land, and here's 50% of everything we got from it. He could have, here's 95%, we kept that 5%. Here's 10%, we kept 90%. And Peter said, well, thank you, Ananias, that's great. It wasn't like everyone had to send, give it all, and it wasn't a command of what was going on. People were just doing it. He didn't have to go and say, here's everything. He could have just said, Whatever it was, whatever percentage, it was fine. Peter would have been fine. God wasn't looking for that. He was wanting honesty. He was wanting, um, he was wanting there to be truth and purity. 
it's amazing here, he says, why would you, he says twice in here, first he says, lie to the Holy Spirit and sin against God. Lie to the Holy Spirit and sin against God. I was going to ask you another place where maybe that was, um, someone talked about sinning against God in the Old Testament or even the New. Um, but, but I'll just tell you, remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? You know, Joseph was working for a man, Potiphar. He was a man who loved God and honored God even through some incredible trials that he was going through. God was blessing him, so Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. Joseph was a good-looking young man. He was successful. And um, Potiphar's wife began to look on him and said, you know what? I like what I see, and I want him. So she begins to try to seduce him. In fact, at one point, she comes and grabs him and says, have sex with me. That's what she says. And he goes, no. How can I do This is what he says. How could I do Your husband has put me in charge of everything that he owns, everything in the household except you. How can I do this thing and sin against, not Potiphar, sin against God? How can I do this and sin against God? How can I do this and, and sin against my God who has blessed me and, and who loves me and who is there for me? Peter says, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? Why have you contrived this deed? Why, didn't say, why did he say, why did you do this? He says, why did you lie to the Spirit? You could have done anything you wanted. Why did you contrive this in your heart? Why, why, would, why would Peter go to his heart rather than just what he did? Why would he ask why he contrived this in his heart rather than thought this up and did what he did? Where do our actions come from? Our hearts, right? Our words. Hey, man, if you want to know what's most important to someone, all you have to do is look at a couple things. What do you think those things would be? What's that? Bank statement. Okay, their bank statement, okay. okay. It could be what they do. Isn't it what they do and what they talk about the most? Think about your life, the things you talk about the most. It's probably something pretty important to you, isn't it? And, it could, if it's, and, it, and if you talk about yourself most of the time, then you're pretty important to you. All right? If you talk about uh, baseball or football or a team, it's pretty important to you. And those things aren't bad. But if you want to know what's important to someone, think about what they talk about the most and then watch what they do or what they don't do. And you'll find out the value, uh, what is a value in their head. Now let me ask you this question. What if... What if Ananias, with the same heart, would have come in and given all of what he got from the property and said, this is everything, and it was, would that have made any difference? His heart was still in the same condition, but he said he was truthful. What then? Would there be any problem with that? Huh? Any problem with that? No, I mean, the people are going to get benefited from it, right? But for him and God, would there be any benefit there? If his, if his, if his desire was to be known, would to be seen, maybe to get some sort of a spiritual position or leadership or something else in the church to, to, to be looked at 
by what he did, he would fall under the same category as a Pharisee in Jesus' eyes, right? In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first three verses says, you know, it says, if you can speak every language known to man, even a heavenly angel language, if there is one, but you don't have love, you know what you are? You're an irritating noise. You're like a noisy gong. It's an irritating noise. If you have so much faith as you can tell a mountain to go into the ocean, if you have knowledge there's nothing that you don't know, all the wisdom in the world that you don't have love, it, you're nothing. He doesn't say, he just says you're nothing. If you give everything you have away so that the poor could be fed and children can be cared for, if you die a martyr's death by being burned to death, but you don't have love as to why you do what you do, it profits you nothing. Now, others can profit from what you do, but in God's eyes, you're an irritating noise, it profits you nothing, and you are nothing. See, because God is not so much concerned with what's on the outside, but your heart. Your heart. So much so, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, there's going to be some day when people are going to come and say, hey, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name um, perform many miracles and in your name cast out demons? And Jesus is going to say, and I'm going to turn and say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7. You know what? I used to be scared of a lot of things. Okay, I shared this a couple weeks ago um, when I was speaking at the, you know, my great, I don't know what you guys are afraid of, and I wish I could have more time to hear, but one of my greatest fears when I was growing up, I watched, you guys remember those, those shows called Scared Straight that were out like in the late 70s, early 80s, and you know, they get a bunch of, you know, kids who think that they're all that, gang members, and they throw them in a room with these inmates, they're huge, and they just scare them, they want to scare them straight, all right? I saw that as a kid, and I was scared to death that I would mess up, go to jail, and be raped by some big man, okay? That was my greatest fear, okay? It was, and it was a real fear. It kept me on the straight and narrow, okay? I did not want that to happen. Then I read this verse as I got older, and this freaked me out. It freaked me, and I'm not saying freaked by just a choice word. I was freaked out by it. I've never performed any miracles. I've never cast demons out of people. I, if they can't get in, and, and I, was, I was like a ninth grader, and I just thought, whoa, and I, I, was scared to, I, I was scared to death. What if I stand before God and he goes, I don't know you. When he says, depart from me, that doesn't mean go into the next room. It's like if he said, you can go to hell now. That's what he's saying. And you know what about, I don't know about you, that, that, that would scare me. It did scare me until my youth pastor kind of explained things to me. You're okay, David. Jesus lives in you. Okay, good. But our hearts, our hearts would matter more than anything else. Now, let's look at, let me close here. What time is it? I have one minute. Do you think I can make it in one minute? Oh, you believe in me. You don't know me. No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. Acts 5, verse 5. Now, when Ananias heard these words from Peter, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, knowing, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold 
the land for so much? And she said, yes, for, for that much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together with the, to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they, carried, they picked her up and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. What was the ultimate cause of Ananias and Sapphira's death? Huh? What was the ultimate cause? What caused them to die? Right over here. I think um, the early church, they were really strong and in fire for the Lord. And the Holy Spirit was very much in power over there. And it, the Holy Spirit couldn't tolerate any deception or lies. So when this happened and these guys came in and did this, it was a real problem. And he wanted to eradicate that. And that's why they got killed. Now okay. we have the same problem here nowadays in the new churches that the deception all the time. No one's dying. So that goes to show you the level of uh, holiness in the church. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it, you're right. It was the judgment of God, wasn't it? Yeah. It was God's judgment. It was God's decision. They're going to die. P you know, but Peter didn't have, the, have, didn't have the power. He didn't say, I kill you. He just said some words to Ananias and he fell over dead. And then when she was doing the same thing, she goes, you know what, lady, you're sharing the same, singing the same song, and, and your husband died, and you're going to be gone. Can you imagine these young men? <laughs> the young men got up. They just saw something crazy happen. Put yourself in their mind as you're carrying out this man who just dropped over dead because he told a lie about how much money he sold, okay, about how much money he, he, he gave. Do you think they were a little freaked out, these young men, young in the walk? Okay, I mean, it says that everyone, fear fell on everyone. They, they get through burying him outside the city. They come back in, and his wife is just lying on the ground, dead. Okay, one more. They come and pick her up and carry her out. You know, and, and I believe, and let me just kind of close with this, okay, because we don't know, we don't know everything, okay? Um, we don't know why God chose to act out his punishment on, the, on Ananias and Sapphira in this way. We don't. Because the Bible doesn't say it. We can, we can look at it and say, God wanted the people to know about the importance of the purity of the heart, purity of and the holiness of the church, and, and, and how, how it's not about position. It's about you know, you know, loving and having the heart of Christ and, and, and caring for each other, not for position. And there's a lot of things we can go, and, and that was probably part of it, but ultimately we don't know the mind of God. We don't know really the real reason, the total reason why God chose to kill these two people and why he doesn't choose to kill us. Because let's be honest, all of us are just as guilty as they are. In fact, if someone were to have done that here, you know, we would think, okay, well, just, just, just be honest next time. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a sin. Right? Wouldn't we use those words? Have you ever thought those words? Has anyone ever said those words to you? Have you ever used those words? It's not, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Because it doesn't carry that big of a consequence on, on this earth now. But in God's eyes, is, is sin sin? Yeah? You know, I thought about it one time. It's almost like in heaven there's a little, there's a light board and, and, uh, and, and there's not. Okay, just, I just want you to know that, okay? I'm not saying there is. And, and, and there's the, our name is right by a light. 
And when we sin, the light goes off. It doesn't say lust, you know, gossip, lying, hypocrisy. It doesn't say anything. The light just goes off. Jesus goes, oh, they're mine. Oh, they're mine. Now, that's not perfect theology right there, okay? God wants us to confess our sins. He wants us to be repentant. He wants us to do those things. But let me just say, this is a light that goes off that there was sin. That's it. And God wants us, and I think God wanted the people, they wanted fear to come across them. It says, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That's a giant duh, okay? No doubt. So I want to ask you this, and this is what I've been asking myself over the last several days. I've been preparing for this lesson. And I wish we could have gotten into more, okay, but we couldn't. Is there something in your life or some place in your life where your heart and your actions don't match up? Where you're doing something and maybe it's for a lot of reasons other than from a heart that's right, a heart that's pure, a heart that wants us to honor God and glorify God in this way. Maybe we want to look good. In fact, just sitting right over here before I came in, you know, part of me is like, oh God, I, I, you know, I, ho- I hope, that, hope this is good tonight. And all of a sudden, I go, God, forgive me. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about it being good. I just want to, I want to adequately handle your word. And I want Holy Spirit, you to work through your word. And I want to be your tool. That's what I want. I don't want to care about whether people like me, whether people think I did a good job. I don't want to care about any of that. That doesn't matter. Because, you know, as, as speakers, we think about that. As teachers, as we think about that, and I don't want my mind to get messed up and my heart to go into areas like, I hope that was good. I just want to handle God's Word accurately. That's really my heart, but there's a battle. Want to know why? Because sin's at the door. He's at the door, and my heart, the same as your heart. Is there an inconsistency between your heart Maybe your words or your actions or your attitude or a plan that you have set right now, a relationship, how you operate at work, how you treat your next door neighbor that parks his junky truck in front of your house, whatever it is, is there an inconsistency that's there? And if there is, Go before God and say, God, help my heart to get right. Tell someone, I want my heart to get right. Help me. Walk with me through this. We've got to pray. We've got to get it done. I'm over. Father, we love you. Father, forgive me for the last six minutes. God, I, um, I, I want to thank you for the beauty, the beauty of your church, of us that we get to be your body, that we would be the right representatives of you, that we'd reflect you, that you being the head would guide us and control us, and that, God, our number one desire would be for you. And out of that love and out of that devotion and out of that commitment and obedience to you, you would do things through us and change and transform our minds and our, and, and, and our, and our words and our hearts, God, to reflect you more and more, and as we do that, that you would disclose yourself to us in an even greater way, as your word says. I pray that we would be like Barnabas, that we'd be sons and daughters of encouragement, that, 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 that just by our lives and our words, that, Father, we would just build up one another, each one encouraged by one another's faith to such a degree that there would just be something that was supernatural that would be taking place and happening in our lives. 
because of the time we spend together in you. And we love you. And we thank you for tonight and the power and the beauty and of your word and how much we love you and it. That's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless, guys. Have a great night.